Hi, everyone. Welcome to Manufacturers Managing Remote. I'm Kiara. This is my co-founder, Matt. Hello, everyone. And uh, we have a company called CircleView, where we help uh, manufacturing managers effectively lead remote teams. And um, that's why we do this. We kind of like it. Uh, so today we are actually interviewing Alexis. Alexis is the author of Leading Remote Teams. Um, she has an awesome book available on Amazon. You guys can check out the link to her book in the comments. Uh, but today it's all about her. <laughs> Want to greet everyone, Alexis? Hey, everybody. I'm excited to chat with you guys today. That remote work is something that is definitely taking off and more and more people are finding out that it works well with their life. And as the pandemic is kind of winding up, winding down, we're not really sure where it's going to go. Uh, definitely offers a lot of opportunity for everybody. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so Alexis, can you maybe start with, um, so you wrote a book. You wrote a book about leading remote teams, which means uh, probably that you feel strongly about it or, you know, so I just wanted to ask you what drove you to write the book and, and why, you know, why you wanted to put that out there. Yeah, so a little bit of a backstory. Um, so I work for the Department of Defense. I'm a program manager and kind of manage the execution of different weapon system programs and sustainment and all the contracts that need to happen with those. So a little bit of disclaimer at the beginning, anything I say is my own personal opinion and not the views of the US Air Force, the Department of Defense or the US government. Um, so all my personal opinion, nothing official. Um, and at the beginning, so actually before the pandemic even started, a lot of my coworkers, I worked with a lot of federal civilians and they were all allowed to telework one day every two weeks. So they were kind of utilizing the telework, the benefits of working from home. And we worked that into our team practices. So we utilized like the digital tools. If somebody was teleworking on a day that we had our team meeting, we would still be able to bring them in the loop, even though they weren't in the office. So we kind of practiced that, even though it wasn't super common in the government at the time, a lot of people were very uh, locked into the in-person model, <laughs> so to say. And so we started working that in. And then when the pandemic happened and they were like, okay, you guys are equipped with telework laptops and all your capabilities, go home and just keep doing your job from home. So I was leading a team of nine people at the time. And I was like, okay, we just got to keep rolling with what we've been doing. And a few months in, I didn't really think anything of it at the time, but after a couple months, uh, one of my team members serves multiple teams at the same time. And he said, hey, do you know that you're the only person that's still holding team meetings and still going forward and hasn't just like put everything on hold? And I was like, you gotta be kidding me. Nobody else is continuing to operate as normal. And I said, no, they're all just waiting until we go back into the office. And at that point, two months in, it was pretty clear that it was gonna be a while before we went back into the office. Two months? Now we're over two years, or not two years, but you know, a year and a half in, and it's pretty clear, like, we're not really sure what the future is going to look like from here. So it's obviously been a while, and we can't afford to just stop all operations for that long. That's completely detrimental to, to our mission and everything that we do. So my idea at that point was, okay, maybe we can do some training, 
and I did like a few slides and everything on how to keep operating, how to use the digital tools that we have available to us as government employees and how to keep things rolling, how to engage your team, even though you're not in the office together. And that training led to some more training and a few more speaking requests in different organizations. And I had also always wanted to write a book. I'm a really avid reader. So I was like, you know what? I think this is my topic. I'm gonna to write a book about this. So I did a lot of research on how to write your own book. And <laughs> long story short, in about three months, I went from, hey, I'm gonna write a book about this after I had tested the idea through a few speaking engagements and trainings into an actual published book on Amazon. So that was definitely a, a cool experience, a uh, steep learning curve along the way. There's a lot of things that you don't really think about when you're writing a book, um, like the cover design and the launch team and the marketing and all of that was very interesting. So uh, very cool experience. And yeah, that's a little bit of why I wrote it. Awesome. <laughs> wow. So that, that um, transition, that transition uh, must have been a little difficult. I, it seems like you, <laughs> like the, the transition to, oh, okay, well, I'm going to have to continue, um, continue moving forward with work uh, during this pandemic. What was that like for you? And um, what was the pushback like? You actually mentioned it in your book, um, that seasoned workers pushed back a little bit. <laughs> so. Yes. I'd love so, to know more about that. Right. So in the government, I am definitely the youngest in my organization by quite a bit. <laughs> As active duty, we tend to be a little bit younger than the civilian population. And I was one of maybe two millennials on my team. We had a new engineer that came in at the time and he was a little bit younger as well. Um, and then there's a whole bunch of different or generations, right? We have a little bit of the, the baby boomers still in there and then a lot of Gen X. And they're maybe not as comfortable with the technology, particularly in the government. It's We're not known for adapting technology really quickly, uh, especially when it comes to different computer applications and using that. We tend to lag behind a little bit. And we had actually just gotten Microsoft Teams rolled out to us shortly before the pandemic starts, started. So that was like our new collaboration software and has actually turned out to be really useful. But uh, one of our engineers, the older guy, he didn't have a laptop at all. He was like very paper-based, uh, didn't know how to like start a video call or use any of that stuff. So that was a really interesting learning curve. And I actually had to like sit down with several people and teach them, you know, this is how you log in. We use a VPN. So this is how you set up your VPN when you're working from home, you know, get connected to the Wi-Fi. And it was very like, we have to walk through all these things because he just pretty much knew the basics of like, okay, my computer's at my desk, log in, you know, access files, email, do those kind of basic things, but didn't really understand so much of like the conference calls and different things like that, just because he hasn't hadn't had to use them up until that point. So a little bit of a steep learning curve there as well. Um, but taking, I think having me that's more, you know, native in the digital technology and using these tools, being able to sit down and explain that to them in person. Whereas like our IT department was pretty slammed at the time. They were very busy wow. trying to get everybody set up with laptops and that kind of thing. They didn't have the time to sit down one-on-one -on -one and explain things. So that was really helpful, I think. But then like, that was just kind of one 
uh, example in case of that. But there was a lot of people in our unit that were like that, that didn't have younger people on their teams to help explain things to them. So I think that was kind of a lot of the resistance to adapting the digital tools and learning to operate in that remote work environment. They were just kind of waiting until we went back in and they could see their paper, paper files. <laughs> Did you do that remotely or were you having to go to them and kind of do that in person? How did you manage that? So that initial one was in person, yes. I was okay. actually part of the augmenting the IT department and I'm not like super computer savvy other than like the user interface, but I did help them get some laptops out to people and get everybody set up with their accounts. So at that point, yeah, we were, he had never done telework before, even though it was available. Some people that just choose, chose not to. Yeah. So yeah, getting all those basic this is how you log in, this is how you get your network set up, that kind of stuff was, was definitely new. Yeah, I found uh, if you know just enough, then you're kind of going to get dumped on with the with the IT. And the, I've found that throughout my career, too. So I'm never in, I've never been in IT, but uh, had to kind of put that hat on or sometimes we call it OT operational technology. But um, I've, I can empathize with that. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Oh, so question that I, I'm not sure if I got this clearly from the book or not, but did you have a position change during COVID? Yes, I did. Oh, that's um, crazy. <laughs> and that was also part of the impetus behind the book was because I got to see two different organizations and how they were adapting to the remote work environment, not really being used to it. So yeah, my first position in supply chain was um, I worked there through June, so about three months into the pandemic, and then I actually switched to a new position in the military. Usually we switch jobs every about two years just to get that breadth of experience and, and see different roles and uh, learn different things. And I switched over to a program management office, and I literally saw my supervisor one time, and that was to get my laptop and say, you know, hi, this is me, and here's your laptop please go home now and do everything via email and telework. So that was really interesting. Um, but then I also got to see the perspective of how different teams operated. So one thing I talked about in the book a lot that I actually got from my new team was the weekly stand-up meeting. At first, I really, really hated it because I didn't know what was going on at the time, but it was actually a really good way to bring on a new person and bring them into the team, get them up to speed on what's going on. You know, these are our priorities. This is what's going on each day this week. These are the taskers that we need to respond to and the, the big picture items that we're working on. And then everybody got to say, you know, what they're focusing on for the week. So it really helped keep everybody, you know, gainfully employed and make sure that we we're moving forward and making the best use of our time for sure. So that was kind of a cool thing that I got to pull out of the new team. And then also just to see, you know, how they onboarded people, how the supervisors interacted, how the commanders interacted in the company or the organizational leadership, brought on the new people, assimilated them, got to know them, um, all that type of stuff, and then learning the new jobs as well. So how, how was that for them? I mean, I'm not sure if you were able to kind of get an insider look, but how was that for them just bringing on the new people from a remote location? 
so I think for them it was a little bit frustrating because they couldn't just like get to know you in person and it was kind of weird because if you don't like get to meet somebody in person for the first time and kind of get to know like their mannerisms and how they talk you know where they use sarcasm is a big one especially for remote work Um, if you're not seeing each other all the time you don't really get that context that you would get in the office or in person so that getting to know people is a little bit of a steep curve you really have to be intentional about okay you know what are your what are your interests what are your goals how do you operate you know what are some of your work values and you know do you stay late or get on early what's your response time to email just all those little things that you don't really get to know until you've worked with somebody for a while so I think that was pretty interesting for their perspective and then like not really knowing other than what my previous boss had told them what they were getting as far as a new hire and then training is a little bit more complicated right so uh, one example on my new team was training. We had another gentleman that joined at the time that was completely new to the government. And I had had a little bit of experience on like government contracting documents and the processes that go along with that. And we stood up a new initiative a little while after I had joined and we were kind of slammed for work, trying to get all these different documents lined up and um, delegate out the tasks to different people. And this gentleman was like, I want to help. I have lots of time to help, but I have no clue what I'm doing. And my other partner that was helping me at the time was like, I have too much to do. I don't have time to explain it. And I was like, okay, well, we're not going to get any help on this unless we take time to teach them and explain it. So going through that training, instead of being like, okay, stand over my shoulder while I do this, it was like a, all right, so we're going to get on a call. I'm going to explain like the intent and all the things that we need to know to do this, the inputs and the information that goes into it. And then you can take this template and go try it out and then come back to me and we'll look it over and talk about, you know, what you could do better and the changes that we need to make from there. And then that was kind of a learning process for him where he's going to be able to actually take that and go do it the next time. So one of the things I think about too, when you're starting to do that and you're getting into that process, you're thinking like, okay, I should... I should make some sort of a document or, or do this so that the next person that comes along, right, we can have this remote or uh, easier way to, to onboard them. Um, but often it kind of just falls by the wayside because you're onto your next task or whatever. But um, were you able to use any of those learnings to, to kind of uh, change the program a little bit? So I don't know that we really changed our onboarding process very much. We haven't brought any new people on since then. Sure. Um, but that's a good idea because I know we're going to have some turnover later this year. So definitely something to keep in mind. One thing that we did work on, and that's been kind of my project for most of this year, is an ordering guide. So uh, we have a program that's got like a long-term contract, and then we place orders every year off of it. So, And each time we do that contract, there are probably 20 plus documents that need to be redone, rerouted, resigned by pretty high levels. So that's kind of a confusing process because most people don't have like a checklist of what to do because defense acquisition is so tailored to the specific situation. So what I've actually been working on is an ordering guide that lays out the processes, you know, start with this, then this, and then walks you through the steps of 
what documents you have to get ready, how far out you have to start, and who who you need to go to, what levels you need things signed at, that type of thing. So that'll be really good for future program continuity as people turn over and get promoted and as people move on to the next thing and new people come in. Yeah, that's that's an idea that we've batted around quite a bit with CircleView is onboarding and how to Again, it's, it's a little tough because every company is different. Every, you know, it's going to be tailored to, to uh, even locations at, a, at the same company, different locations. But um, if you think about having a, just like a straightforward checklist um, or something, some sort of a flow pattern that, that you can walk through for a, a onboarding, it really kind of eases the burden on everyone else because they're not having to like constantly figure out okay did they learn this did they you know and there's not you know you kind of have to go through your memory and like what what do they need to remember and or what do they need to learn you know all those sort of things so um and then being able to do that remotely i think would be huge for a lot of companies sure yeah i think having some kind of standardized like what your first week your first couple of weeks looks like even your first month and have the first week be like your, your initial kind of hr welcome to the company this is how we operate getting your pay and all that other stuff set up if it wasn't done beforehand and like templates on you know monday you're going to meet with your supervisor and then you know who are the other people that you're going to meet within the company and the leadership to kind of welcome you and bring you into the team and meeting your team members as well. And then as you go forward in that month, maybe have different plans based on what your role is in the company. You know, if you're a project manager or an engineer or something like that, Right. having those functional areas teach you how the business operates, what you're going to be expected to do, all those types of things. And kind of have like, I think definitely the first week and then kind of having a, an outline of what the first month, what you want them to know by the time they've reached the first 30 day mark and then even in 60 and 90 days right assimilate into the company yeah and you can have measurable goals you know like do they need to know this by this amount of time and you can measure if if there's a way of measuring sometimes there isn't but then you can see you know if somebody's on track or not and then do you need to adjust resources to to help out with that so yeah right definitely think the onboarding i mean while the employee and their initiative and interest has a big part to do with it. Onboarding is definitely on the company because as a new employee, you don't necessarily know unless you've had involvement with that company before exactly what to expect or what you should be learning. It's on the company to put those unknown unknowns in front of them. So I have a question about how you view um, remote work. In your book, you said high performing and I think you said it multiple times. So I just really want to know <laughs> what aspects of remote work do you see as high performing? Um, and it just, you're just, just your perspective. I'd love to hear. Absolutely. So I think that probably came from the cultural perception of remote work that seemed to be pretty pervasive in the government and just in general before the pandemic. And a lot of people were like, oh, well, you don't really do any work when you're at home. That's just kind of like when you're, you're lazy, making sure that you check your email once in a while. And that's not the case. A lot of us have found that we're actually more productive when we're at home and when we can focus and not have all those in the office distractions. Because when you think about it, you know, when you were in the office, you might 
check your email for a little while, work on something, and then your coworker stops by to talk about their weekend. Well, there went 45 minutes, <laughs> you know? So I definitely wanted to change that cultural perception because you're not just sitting at home in your pajamas, you can actually get a lot done. So I like to talk about, you know, the collaboration aspects and how to actually get things done versus just taking that more passive approach and, waiting for things and time to just pass by with and maybe do one or two things and knock a couple of things off your list. When you can get a high-performing team, you're actually focused on moving towards your organization's goals together and then knocking out the tasks that need to happen to get that done so that you're using your time wisely and, you know, getting those things knocked out, getting those things done and being able to work with each other. So if your tasks that you're working on are inter interdependent between multiple people, that you're coordinating with them and they're working with you and and their time is also coordinated with what you're doing as you're doing it. So productivity, what are what are some methods that you are tips that you would give for um, staying on task and uh, remaining productive? So one of the most important things for productivity, I think, is making sure that you're focusing on the things that are actually going to matter and move the needle forward for your role and what you're supposed to be contributing to your organization. So for example, some of the things that I've been working on recently weren't necessarily like a high priority project or weren't, sorry, they weren't urgent. They were high priority, but they weren't urgent. So it was easy for some of the leaders on our team to be like, oh, well, we can do that later. It doesn't have to be done right now. But really when you're talking about a, a big document like the risk management plan that really um, takes a proactive look at how we do things, redoing that and making sure that we focus on what are our risks and are we allocating our resources in the right areas to mitigate some of those risks and prevent a disaster from happening. Those are actually really important and should be a higher priority. So blocking off the time and saying, so I do mine like mostly on a weekly basis. I'll say, what are my priorities for this week? What are the big things that I want to get done? And I plan those out and then I plan the more urgent things around those and the lower priority things. So I'm making sure that I spend a chunk of time on the, the high priority things and get those tasks done first and then look at some of the different things like catching up on email or doing training that maybe doesn't have to be done right away, those type of things. And one thing I like to do with this is time blocking. So I'll say, you know, in this next two hours, I need to get this done. And I try to a lot the amount of time that it actually takes to get that done without shorting yourself too much so you're going to be super stressed but also don't give yourself too much time because i've personally found when i allow myself too much time it's really easy to you know kind of get distracted and go down a side hole or pull up pull up my phone and look at facebook or whatever that's a black hole don't do that um, <laughs> if you find yourself doing that i try to put my phone like on the opposite side of my desk behind my computer so i still um you can hear it if it rings, but I'm not like tempted to just touch it and start checking apps. That so so you talked about kind of like setting out your task for the week, um, and to me that kind of goes a lot or hand in hand with you're talking about your weekly standups. Mm -hmm. So I I work right now. We do in an organization we do daily standups, and what I love about it is it's something it's really simple and it's kind of like you should be doing it anyway, but it forces you to think about what am I going to work on today? And why is that the most important thing? And then you, in your standup, you talk through that. 
Um, so I think is that is that kind of how you you use your your weekly standups to help you prioritize as well? Absolutely, yeah. And it just depends on like the pace of how your organization's going. Sometimes weekly works good. Sometimes daily is is needed, especially when you're in like a rapid development type stage. Uh, yeah, it's. I think it's good for you to focus on what's important for you and for you to actually identify that. Because if you don't have that standup, you're not actually identifying that until, and it's more of a passive thing. It's less proactive and intentional. Uh, I think remote work is a lot about intentionality when it comes to what you're gonna focus on for the week and also connecting with other people takes more intention as well. Right, um, so one of the things that we try to do or we're trying to do with circle view is aligning everyone right so what are the like and you talked about it already the stuff that i'm doing today or i plan to do how does it fit into what we're doing how does it fit into our goals and is it the right thing to be working on and then if you have those meetings like you're talking about you know, whether it's weekly daily whatever you bring that up in front of the team and you say this is what i'm doing and that gives everyone an opportunity to say yep okay that sounds seems like the right thing or Oh, well, what about this other item? And if you have like a, a board, you know, we use uh, task boards or whatever to show, you know, what are all the priorities? We have a backlog, things like that. So if you're used mm -hmm. to agile and then you can use all of those tools, um, get them up in front of everyone's eyes. And then it just really helps with that alignment. I think. Yeah, definitely. I think that's good also to get what you're doing in front of your teammates so that they can kind of check you as you said and see, you know, is this the most important thing for you to be doing or am, or am I waiting on you to get something done for me before and then I'm, you know, my time is just waiting and that's on hold. So then you're wasting another person's time. So I like to think of myself as like removing the bottleneck. Is there anything that is sitting in my inbox that I need to do that's a bottleneck on somebody else's time? That's kind of a good way with the standups to see, you know, is, is there something that you need to do first and, and rearrange your priorities that way too. I know something that people um, often have a hard time doing is just starting. So um, you've, you've mentioned the stand-up meetings a couple times and uh, uh, just how, what would you suggest is the best way to organize a stand-up meeting, whether that be daily or monthly? Um, just what, what's the best order? What are the, the priorities of the meeting? What do you suggest? So I think this is kind of dependent on the organization and what's all involved in their operations. So it's gonna be different. Um, what we do is we usually have like a weekly overview of the schedule. So like, what are the big meetings that we have going on during the week and who's covering what? And that can kind of help us, you know, if one person is uh, on leave or on vacation or has another meeting or if there's two meetings at the same time, we can kind of talk about it at a leadership level on the team and see who's gonna cover this one, who's gonna cover that one, just to make sure that all of our bases are covered. Uh, we also do an overview kind of like with people being on leave or out of the office. Is there, you know, who, what is the resource availability? Who is going to be gone? Who's gonna be in training? Who's actually gonna be available and actively working during the week? And then we also have our priorities and our taskers. So things that are due during that week or even the following week, things that we need to start working on and the big picture priorities that we want to start making progress on. So that it's kind of like a dashboard that we do. Usually it's in kind of an email that gets sent out beforehand. 
and that way everybody can see exactly what's going on, what's due, what are the things we need to check in on, and that type of thing. So really, I think a weekly is a pretty good starting point if somebody's like never done this on their team before, a weekly is a good starting point. If they find that there's more things happening in the week that they didn't put on the, on the Monday stand-up, it might be good to, to move to daily if it's just like a quick, quick five-minute meeting. And if things are really rapidly happening, that would probably be a good idea for a, for a daily. I think monthly is a little bit too far out to really be intentional and be productive because monthly is a pretty broad time scale. Yeah. Yeah, guys, I hope you, you're writing this down if you, <laughs> if you need tips on what to do. Uh, I think that was pretty solid. <laughs> I am monitoring the comments and I see that someone has a question. So um, I, they asked, is CircleView fully remote? Richard asked if CircleView is fully remote. Yes, we are. We're fully remote. We're a software company, so it's a little easier for us to be fully remote. But <laughs> uh, yeah, we definitely are. Um, guys, if you have any other questions, please leave them in the comments um, because we love to uh, make sure that we address them. Um, so, uh, what I had a question about tools. So what tools um, do you think help you guys remain on task, uh, remain productive? Um, and maybe uh, some good suggestions that you could offer people. So I think I just lightly mentioned it before, but time blocking is one of my favorite tools to like stay productive and then allotting that you know, just enough time, not too much, not too little to get your tasks done when you prioritize them that way. Um, for collaboration, we use Microsoft Teams. It's just one of the, the many tools. I know a lot of people use Slack and Zoom. For me, I'm a little bit lim limited to what's approved for use on government systems. So a little bit bigger hurdle than some of the other companies out there. Um, but I know for, for different efforts, I've also used Slack and some of the other projects out there. Um, I'm trying to think. So when you, let me just ask when you're, you're blocking out your time or you're, you're, you're kind of estimating your time. Are you doing that day to day? Are you saying, okay, today I'm doing like these three things. This one's going to take one hour. This is going to take two hours and then kind of planning out that way. Or are you doing it more broadly? Can you maybe give specifics on that? So I usually do that every day. And then I usually kind of readjust at lunchtime because it never really goes exactly as I planned. <laughs> and so at the, in the morning, usually when I sit down, I look at like my calendar. So what are the meetings that I have today? And then what are the different chunks of time in between meetings? Because I think it's really easy to, if you only have 30 minutes or if you have an hour between yeah. meetings, it's really easy for that time to just slip away and you don't know what happened. <laughs> so yeah. I like to write down, you know, okay, I have this meeting from eight to nine and then I have from nine to 10, I'm going to work on this task and try to get that done. And then, you know, from 10 to 11, I have a different meeting or however it tends to fall out for that day. Or I might have a list of smaller things that if this meeting gets done 20 minutes early, then I can jump into my email and knock out these couple things that I have to send. Um, so I kind of block things out like that. And then, you know, as it always happens, usually by lunchtime, some things have shifted. Maybe something took a little bit longer or got interrupted and I didn't get to finish it. And the first time block, then in the afternoon, I'll kind of readjust and say, okay, what are the things that I definitely need to get done before I log off today? 
makes a lot of sense no and that's great especially because that uh i really uh empathize i guess with the in between the meetings because you'd be like oh i have a half hour i'll just check email which isn't always like it's you need to do it but it's not always the best time to do it you know i know certain people will only check email during certain times of the day it's like okay only at the beginning day or the end of the day or whatever or block that off too and i think that's another good potential tactic yeah so actually on email one trick that i did this year that has really changed me being able to actually focus on what i'm doing rather than getting distracted by email is so we have outlook and outlook sends you that beautiful pop-up notification at the corner of your screen every time you get a new email and only about half the emails that i actually get on a regular basis do i need to read and look at in a timely manner and respond so those, those notifications are really distracting. And when you get distracted, it can take on average 25 minutes to get refocused on what you're doing. So if you only have an hour time block and you get distracted once, you're like, it, it kind of cuts out like half of your time. So I actually went in to the settings and you can turn off the pop-up notifications and you can also turn off the little icon at the bottom of your screen that shows that you have mail Ooh. so that you're not because I'm like an inbox zero type of person it yeah me too crap out of me if I have unread emails so I changed it so that I can't see that I have new emails until I actually go back into the app and I can leave it open during this time so I don't have to restart it every time but it won't like pop up and distract me from doing my work so that's changed a lot and now I get to the point where I'll I'll get into what I'm doing get really deep into something for 20, 30 minutes, get it done. And then I'm not even thinking about email. Then I'm like, okay, I'm done with this. Go back, open it. I'm like, oh, <clears throat> excuse me. I, well, why do you do that? I'm going to, I think I'm going to do that right now because yeah, <laughs> that is such a great it. tip. Yeah. Yeah. That has changed a lot for me as far as being able to reduce distractions because Outlook, yeah, it does that. And half the time, the emails are just like, for your information, you didn't need to respond to it. It doesn't matter if you don't see it for two hours, you know. So that's definitely helped. And then I'm like, oh, look at that. I have three or four unread emails. Oh, good. Those didn't distract me. And I actually got this thing done that I wanted to do. So definitely a good tip. Um, no matter what, like your boss is probably going to be fine if you don't respond for an hour or two, because realistically, they send you an email and you're in a meeting for an hour you're not going to respond until after you get out of that meeting anyways so what's the difference between you being in a meeting with somebody else or you being in a meeting with yourself working to actually get something productive done for the company so i think that's probably realistic and if your boss has a problem with that you should probably have a conversation about expectations <laughs> oh that's funny no, that's, um, I wanted to ask, I don't know, Kira, if you had any more questions about tools. No, go but, for it. Um, I noticed you're, you're pursuing a degree in engineering management. And I just wanted to ask why you chose to do that. So that one actually fit really well with my defense career field. I'm an acquisition program manager. Um, and that's a very businessy type of thing. So I definitely wanted an MBA as, as a more recognized degree for my master's. And I was looking at project management because that's also really kind of the bread and butter of what I do on a day-to-day -day basis. But my school offered engineering management and I was like, oh, that sounds interesting. Uh, I'm working with engineers all day, every day because they're the, you know, the design authority and the 
ultimate checks and balances on what the government wants on a technical level versus what the contractor thinks that we need. Um, so I was like, I'll check that out. But I was actually really apprehensive because I'm not, I don't have an engineering degree. I'm not a technical person, I'm business minded. So I actually got with the school and said, can you send me like a syllabus? Will I, will I be okay if I don't have like an electrical engineering degree going into this? Will I even understand it? And um, I was actually really glad that I did because it was very systems thinking at a high level, not necessarily technical and down the weeds. So it talked about like how to talk to geeks. It was really funny in our intro to engineering management class, the textbook for it was, grab it. The Geek Leader's Handbook. This is honestly one of my favorite books that I've ever read as far as like leading technical teams and being able to talk to people who are stereotypically fairly introverted and don't like to talk to people. <laughs> um, that was very insightful. And I found that I actually identified with about half of the stuff in there as far as, you know, being a little bit more introverted. This is how I like to work, that type of thing. So that's definitely a good read. And then the rest of the classes for the program were very like systems thinking at a high level. And then a lot of it also tied into the defense acquisition systems engineering life cycle, which is a lot of what I'm doing anyways through my defense acquisition university certifications as well that are required for my, my primary career. So it fit in really well and looking at like weapon system architecture from a whole and the different life cycle processes <clears throat> that are involved with that. So it's been a pretty useful degree so far. And I'm, I actually just finished the last class for the concentration and uh, definitely glad that I did it. Yeah, so I, I'm an engineer, um, chemical engineering degree. And I, I'm glad they told you that you didn't need that degree because you absolutely don't need the, uh, the gory technical details um, to know, to know the science behind that, to manage engineers, like you don't, as long as you can communicate and you can lead, you know, and lead people in the right direction, then that's good enough. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think being able to know enough of the technical and being able to ask the right questions, I think right. has been the big thing for me, like being able to pull out what is the technical information that's actually important and pertinent to the decisions that we're going to make at a business level. And then being that translator that can communicate what the engineer wants you to know and what you actually need to know, and then connecting that to how it impacts the decisions that the organization is going to make going forward, how that impacts your customers and that type of thing is um, a rare but useful skill. <laughs> it is. Well, uh, I have a question about, um, this is, this is changing the topic now, but on, uh, trust. So, um, just being able to build trust it, uh, from a remote location, I guess, um, how, how did you do that? How did you do that? Especially coming into a brand new team, uh, during your, your transition, how did you, um, make that that uh, adjustment, uh, I know you've never met your team in person, seems like yeah. yeah. Yeah, so trust is definitely one of those things that's really hard to earn and then really easy to destroy, right? So in the book, I talk about kind of two different sides of the trust equation, likability, and then reliability. So likability is just getting to know people and being a person that people want to work with. 
So, you know, introducing yourself, talking a little bit, offering up some personal information, you know, what are your hobbies? What are the different things that we might be able to connect on? Uh, what's your background? What's your family life like? If you're comfortable sharing that, because that impacts your life and, and what you bring to the table when you're working on a remote team. So talking about, you know, that kind of stuff and being a little bit vulnerable and being able to connect with people, I think is really important to building trust. And then the reliability piece is really the piece that you have to earn. So, you know, do you do what you say you're going to do? Are you offering up to help, you know, hey, I can help you out with that, especially when you're newer, you might not have as much going on offering to help with different projects. You know, there was a, uh, a task pretty shortly after I joined my new team that they were had questions about government furnished property. And I was like, oh yeah, I used to deal with that when I was on the logistics side for uh, the accountability that went with that. So I can help you guys look into this. Just little things like that. And being willing to really be a team player, I think is, is a big piece to the reliability. And then actually following through and completing whatever it was that you said you're going to do by a certain date. So if you agreed that you were going to get, you know, this document back to the engineer by the end of the month, send it back by that day. Or if you can't, because your workload is a little too busy at the time and you had to rearrange some things, talking to them before the deadline, say, hey, I got to rearrange this. Is that okay with you? And just opening that communication, I think, is a really big deal with reliability and people want to know that they can count on you. So those two things are really big. One thing that I did to kind of open the door to building trust when I joined the new organization is we have a lot of stakeholders in different parts of the country. And even, you know, if we were going in the office, we would still have all these stakeholders in different parts of the country. So offering up and asking, well, asking first for my predecessor, who are the different people that I need to talk to and who are the people that you engage with on a regular basis? Because when you're remote, if they don't see the new person coming into the office or they don't see the new person coming to, um, my office did a lot of in-person meetings and events where we would travel all over and meet the different counterparts at our different offices. And that all went to a stop with remote work. Nobody was traveling. So if you're not seeing somebody and meeting them, oh, so-and-so is the new Tom, she's replacing him on this program. They don't see you, they don't know who to reach out to when they have an issue. If nobody tells them, nobody knows who you are. And it's really easy to just, you know, sit at home on your computer and say, oh, I'm not getting any emails. Well, it's because <laughs> you're supposed to be emailing. <laughs> so what I did at first was I got all those names and I sent each person individually an email. And I said, hey, I'm taking over for this guy. Um, I'm new to this, this program. Haven't worked this weapon system at all but these are the weapon systems that I have worked in the past and this is kind of my background. And, you know, I have two dogs and I like to run on the weekends. <laughs> <laughs> now, this is a little bit about me. Um, I'm obviously new, I don't know what's going on yet, but I'm gonna try to learn. And we you know, can you reply, please tell me a little bit about yourself and what you were working on with my predecessor so I know what things to track. And then, you know, I'm opening the door now, so please communicate to me if you have any issues, any questions, please reach out, you know, I'm here. That single step can, can make all the difference between people actually wanting to reach out to you, just opening the door and saying, hey, I'm here, I'm trying to learn, please come to me with anything you have that's pertinent to, you know, my program. I'm, I'm the person now, so come to me with any questions you have. And then when they do email you, then you can say, 
okay, now I need to look into this. And then I learn a little bit more about that area. So I think that's a big deal when you're on a remote team and it's like, who are the people I'm supposed to be talking to? And let me go introduce myself to them so that they know to reach out to me whenever they need me. That is great advice. <laughs> it's really great. I just can imagine the the difficulty. Um, I mean, I, I haven't had to go through that exact situation, but just, well, yes, I have. I, I've never met Matt in person nope. and I'm just friendly. So it just, it doesn't feel like it, <laughs> but yeah, just um, reaching out, reaching out to, to see it or just showing people that, Hey, I am available. I am here. Uh, I think that's awesome. Right. And then you avoid like the, oh, well, this person left and I've never heard who's replacing them. Do we even have somebody else that's supposed to be helping us? Um, that can kind of create some, some negative feelings. So you definitely want to avoid that as soon as possible. <laughs> and well, let's, uh, Matt, unless you have a question on that, I kind of want to switch to future state of remote work. No, go ahead. Yeah. So what, what are you uh, foreseeing for future work? I've, I've been, you know, reading a ton of articles and, and things of what, what remote work will look like future state and even toward the end of this year, uh, just as we're seeing drastic changes, seems like people are going back into lockdown and just all kinds of stuff. So what are your thoughts on where we're going? Yeah, so I don't know that anybody has the crystal ball with this. <laughs> um, it's fun to speculate and see where things might go. I think we're seeing a lot more of, of, of pressure, especially from employees in a, in a tight labor market. A lot of employees are like, hey, I like this. And then when you have the, the health threat or danger on the other side, that's kind of paired pushing this along. I think it's definitely going to become more normal and uh, a bigger thing as we go forward. I have a, a Google alert set for remote work. So I kind of get an email every morning with like, what are the new articles? What are people talking about? And I think there was a Forbes one to today that. where like two years ago, I'm not sure exactly what year it was. So don't quote me on these numbers, but a couple of years ago, there was only like 7,000 jobs in the US that were remote and made over, paid over six figures. And now they're projecting that by the end of this year, there's over 80,000 jobs that pay, you know, fully remote over six figures. And that's probably just a small bit in it compared to how many people are actually working remotely. But I definitely think we're gonna see a trend of increased adoption for this especially as companies are starting to realize the benefits and the lower costs of allowing their employees to work remotely. I think the biggest challenge right now or the biggest obstacle that we have to truly adopting the remote work model for you know, everybody that realistically can that doesn't have a lot of physical products or services is um, the team collaboration and the comfort collaborating through digital media. And I think I touched on that at the end of the book is really the future of, can we collaborate through a digital medium and be okay with that? And be, uh, can we still operate just as comfortably as we would in an office? And can we be just as creative when we're talking on a Zoom call versus when we're sitting around a table? I think that's really the biggest obstacle that I see right now. And I know like Apple was pushing back and their biggest reason that they were citing was that the, the creative collaboration wasn't happening as much on our own team. So 
-hmm. we have to be willing to get out of our own way and reach out to people and be comfortable collaborating through the digital platform because if we're only doing that when we have to versus when we really need to be doing it on a proactive basis then that's really going to hinder our creativity that is a really good point. I, I think in a previous um, interview we had, um, someone was talking about their, uh, Lisa was talking about their, um, they're just, she's extroverted. So mm -hmm. being around people kind of fuels her energy and, uh, and not being around people makes her sad. So <laughs> just, it's different. It's just a different environment. Um, I, I think that, uh, it's not, maybe it's not necessarily the effort that we have to put forth for, you know, just for uh, accepting, it's just for accepting the new normal, but I think it's just kind of putting aside your um, preconceived everything, just everything you thought before and um, being able to transition. Um, maybe it's not as hard as everyone thinks. <laughs> yeah, I definitely think you can't anchor on what the office environment was like. For extroverts, it can be a little bit different in like wanting to actually be around people every day. Um, so my husband's extroverted and he's been working, you know, on the other side of my office throughout the whole pandemic. He got a fully remote uh, job as well. So we get to kind of interact with each other all day. So we kind of get a little bit of that. And then we're also... Um, pretty friendly with like our neighbors and we organize different activities and stuff like that. So we kind of get, you have to have other outlets for your social interaction, I think, to really be successful and not feel like super cut off during remote work. So uh, yeah, definitely have to be intentional about other social interaction as well so that you're not only getting that from work, which I think a lot of people do or have in the past. Um, and then I think the other underrated thing that obviously we can't do so much right now, but and in a normal situation where a pandemic wasn't a big concern is like company on-sites where even if you do have remote workers dispersed maybe once or twice a year the company pays for the team to get together do collaboration activities get to Yay. know each other and just make, maybe not even money. focused on work but just getting to know each other like in the air force we call them wingman days because we're each other's wingman um, and that's just kind of like a way to say, hey, we're going to get together a new team building and it's not going to be, we're not going to have a, a work-based goal or an output that we need to do other than we need to just get together, have fun with each other, learn a little bit about each other. And I think that carries over so quickly into how you work with each other as well. So I was thinking about a lot of things when you're just talking, but like one of the things that, um, when I interviewed Kevin, right, who's on our team now, he was talking about, you know, you're in this remote environment and you want to catch up with someone. It's like so much more intentional, right? Versus just going, like you said, going to the cube and like asking what happened on the weekend. Now you have to at least click a button. You have to, you have to think about it beforehand, right? And type right. something or set up a call or whatever. And that kind of stops you. It might, you might check you, right? So, so if, if you're, in an environment where you're trying to brainstorm and things like that and everyone's in the same room you may have lower inhibitions i don't know if that's the right way to say it but you, you might feel more comfortable just throwing out any idea versus uh where you're remote and you actually have to type it and you have to actually think before you're going to take yourself off mute or whatever um so i wonder if that's if it's just 
kind of part of it is just uh, getting over that hurdle maybe and just us getting used to it. But then there's also stuff like when we're talking over Zoom or whatever teams, um, it's you can't interrupt each other or like the, the audio gets all messed up. So I don't know. I, I, I think we'll figure our way out through this because we kind of have to. But um, those, those are some things that I was thinking about that could still cause issues. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So um, I actually just read another book on, on remote teams leading from anywhere by David Burkus. And one thing that he brought up that I thought was really interesting is kind of two sides of the coin for video versus non-video. And one was that people actually listen and catch a lot more of the nonverbal like intonation, emotion, that type of stuff in your voice when there's not video. And people are also like way less self-conscious because they're not worried about how they look or they don't have like, you know, a bunch of faces staring at them. So they're more willing to express their mind and, and different things like that. But then also he mentioned that for brainstorming activities, like you said, in person works a lot better for that because you can see, you know, if somebody wants to jump in with an idea, then if you're, you know, if you're not on video and you are on mute, then you have to turn your video on and turn or unmute yourself so you're a lot less likely to jump in with an idea so he actually said for brainstorming activities and real like high high creative collaboration activities video on and mute off for the whole time so it's just you know you can see somebody when they're ready to jump in with something or you know if you start to say something then you can just say it rather than like i think i want to say this okay unmute okay wait for a chance to talk Oh, actually, the conversation went in a direct, different direction, so now I don't want to say it. <laughs> you know? yeah. It kind of removes those barriers to collaboration that way. Yeah, that's a good point. Just definitely on the creative creative part, I think that that does really depend upon, uh, I don't know, you, you just mentioned a lot of like body language and different things like that, those, those different cues and... Um, when, when it's time to be creative, you really just have to be able to flow. Have, you have to feel comfortable and, and all of that. Uh, so those are a lot of different aspects, I guess we'll have to adjust to. Yeah, and it's gonna, I mean, you have to build trust to be able to feel comfortable doing that, right? So it kind of all like wraps back into each other. You know, are you gonna, can you trust each other? Depending on the size of your team, you know, five to 15 is probably an ideal size. Any more than that gets to be just a little, a few too many people to really truly collaborate. So having those smaller tight knit groups where you all you know, get to know each other really well and feel comfortable collaborating. And then the other thing I really like is just being able to share your screen while you're working. So maybe you don't have video on, but having your mics open and being able to share your screen and collaborate together that way, you know, whether it's, um, I'm not super familiar with the software space, but if you guys are like working on something and they're coding, being able to see what they're doing, I imagine would be pretty valuable, but also like for us document writing and uh, working on different things, being able to make the changes in real time and see what the other person's doing in real time and then give feedback that way is also a pretty um, useful tool, especially when you're trying to get the, the input of multiple different people at the same time. And just instead of having to send something out, uh, like for some of the stuff that I do, we can send a document out to three different people, say, hey, I need your feedback and make these changes. And you have to then make them 
one at a time and everybody's doing it at their own time or you can just get together for 30 minutes. Hey, what do we want to do? How do we want to word this? Does this sound good? Okay, done. You know, it's way quicker that way. So measuring those asynchronous versus synchronous communications in your collaboration is also um, a good tool to kind of hone as you go and learning which ones should be done asynchronously on, on your own time and then which ones would actually just be a lot quicker if you jumped on a call for 30 minutes. Yeah. And I think that uh, circles back to your what you're talking about with um, planning, right? So your, your stand-up, you have something, it could be a dashboard. I think you just said it was just an email, right? So mm -hmm. it could be as simple as just a text document that everyone looks at but then you know that everyone is looking at the same thing and then you can build off of that so that's right. that's what yeah definitely yes sometimes it's really useful to just all be looking at the same thing at the same time yep i love it so what um i don't know if you pay attention to different industries um just to see who's how people are adjusting or, or who's actually adopting uh, remote work and who isn't. But um, what's what's your thought on that? As far as how different industries are reacting? Yeah. Um, so I'm paying attention a little bit, trying to actually decide what my next move is gonna be. I have a year left on active duty in the military. And then I've decided just kind of for my family that we're gonna separate active duty and move into something else. and. As you can probably guess, remote work is pretty important for me. So <laughs> I'm uh, trying to look at, okay, what's a career direction that's going to accommodate remote work and not like having to be in a certain location and go into the office certain days a week. Um, for me, full-time remote work is really attractive with maybe like a little bit of travel or going to the office once in a while, but not necessarily like on a weekly established basis. So kind of looking at those different things and how the different people are reacting to it and you know on LinkedIn some companies are like we're full in we're doing this our people want it and we're going to you know you spoke we listened this is what's going to happen and we're going to roll with it and then other companies are like nope don't expect to be on this too much longer we're going to try to bring you back in and mandate vaccines and all these other things which we're not going to get into that conversation but <laughs> um, I definitely think the companies that are being more flexible and responding to, to what the labor market needs are gonna be able to attract and retain the higher talent because we're seeing a lot of surveys right now where people are willing to give up other benefits to be able to continue working remotely, um, particularly in um, like parents who that's really important to them is to be able to be there for their kids and have that flexibility. And a lot of women that we see as they become parents and as they age and their kids age, they decide to take a step out of the workforce. So this is an opportunity to retain those women and that talent into higher leadership positions and really see that diversity up through the ranks in different companies too. Yeah. We, uh, one thing that we focus on is um, uh, our theory actually, or one of them behind Circle View is that we help with employee retention. Um, just the flexibility aspect of being able to work from home is just kind of here to stay. I think everyone's gotten a taste of it and um, <laughs> they're just not willing to let it go. I, um, I read probably a similar article that you did that said people are even willing to accept 
um, a 10% decrease in wage to be able to work now that's a big deal yeah that's a lot we, we like our money <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah yeah so um just to be able to work from home so um definitely uh I mean I, I don't know about you guys but I don't I don't think that companies that are having that resistance um will last very long I don't I don't know um you know unless they're paying a lot unless they 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 increase a lot and they balance it out with benefits I'm not sure um how long they'd be able yeah, to but, you know I, I think people our age and younger that's it, money is not everything like we know that right we and and we're we're looking for different things in life you know so obviously we want enough money to pay the bills but you know if if flexibility and work is an option we're going to take it because it it just makes I, personally it just makes my life so much better so you know yeah. that's I, I feel pretty strongly about that too but yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I think, um, especially like the flexibility and the talent retention aspect, like as you grow and progress as a person and, and you go through life, you know, a career could be 30 to 40 years of your life. So you're going to change a lot and your needs as a person are going to change a lot. So if the company wants to keep you around and help foster your growth throughout, you know, your career life cycle, they need to be a little bit flexible at times when your life can't necessarily be focused solely around work. There's going to be times where, you know, maybe your family or, or your hobbies or different things, you know, some of the dreams that you want to work on take a front seat and then work needs to take a little bit of a back seat. So I think having that flexibility to flex and adjust, you know, maybe even offering, Hey, do you need to scale back your hours and do a part-time position for a little while while you focus on something else? Uh, but you still need that income. You still want to stick with us and keep working on what you've been doing. Cause you have a lot of valuable <clears throat> skills and experience that we can still use in the company. And then being able to later, once that part of your life is kind of cooled off or, or not as important to you, then you can scale back up and say, okay, I want to take on more of a leadership role, or I want to, you know, do more of the company now. I think that that flexibility is going to go a lot farther than, than most people can see right now. Right. So we are at, it's five o'clock. This conversation has been awesome. <laughs> went fast <laughs> yeah yeah it did um, but if you had to leave you know final nuggets if uh you'd like to um maybe some tips or something that you'd like to give uh what would those be oh pressure um <laughs> we covered a lot of it today so I think the biggest thing to take away is instead of saying we can't do that how can we reframe the question into how can we do that? So especially when it comes to the creativity, the collaboration, being productive, stay, you know, how can I be more productive or how can I collaborate and build that trust and that comfort communicating through the digital medium with my team better? I think if you take that approach uh, through all the different problems that you might be encountering or the different challenges and obstacles to remote work, I think people will definitely find a better way to do things as we move forward. Great, great tip. And um, how can people reach you uh, if they want to contact you or if they want to get that great book that just so happens to be on sale on Amazon? 
I noticed. Yeah. Yeah. So like you said, Amazon for the book, um, leading remote teams embrace the future of remote work culture is the title. We have paperback, audiobook, and Kindle versions. So go to Amazon to find that. And then if you want to connect with me, LinkedIn is the best place. I'm pretty active on there, usually every day or at least several times a week. So LinkedIn is a good place to get in touch with me. And um, say, say your name one more time. Oh, just sorry. So Alexis Gerst. Yeah, A-L-E-X-I-S-G-E-R-S-T. Awesome. Thanks, guys. We look forward to our next event.